Hello and welcome to the 35th episode of the CCGI podcast. After a long hiatus, Kent and I are pleased to offer a new episode with two very special guests, Dr. Judy Forrester and Dr. Stephen Passmore. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I was hoping that just to get started, we'll ask uh, Judy and Steve to, to introduce yourselves. Well, hello, I'm Judy Forrester. I uh, practice in Calgary. I run a large multidisciplinary clinic that basically employs independent co- contractors of diverse specialties. I have the privilege to serve on the Canadian Chiropractic Association Board of Directors and have just entered my term now as the first vice chair on the Chiropractic Association and have just sadly left the Canadian Chiropractic Research Foundation uh, after a number of years on their board as well, just to be able to focus my efforts on the Canadian Chiropractic Association. And I'm Steve Passmore. I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Recreation Management at the University of Manitoba. I'm also on the external advisory panel of the Canadian Pain Task Force for Health Canada, and uh, I'm a practicing chiropractor. Well, great. Thanks. Thanks to both so much for you know giving us some of your time so we can we can have a chat. the The main topic we're, that we're going to explore today is is talking about the the pandemic and you know sort of life as a chiropractor during the pandemic. So, Judy, you you, you and I both practice in Calgary. What what can you tell us about your experience through kind of the shutdown period and then starting back up? Like what 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 can you tell us about uh, what what you lived through? Well, I was speaking to Galen earlier this morning and uh, sharing how very much it felt like a whirlwind. Uh, Looking back on it, it just seemed as though we were living in the land of non-reality. Of course, we've ascended to a new reality at this point. I guess initially, it felt incredibly surreal, very uncertain, certainly felt like a game changer. And without really understanding where we were going to be moving in the future with this, that uncertainty, those first few days, the questions going through our minds of, Boy, are we really going to have to shut down? And what does that mean for everybody? Uh, so it was a very, very difficult start moving into that. There were so many unanswered questions, like I said. So I felt like I was on autopilot almost. Uh, and the adrenaline-fueled factor of us uh, having to move through all the processes to ensure that we would be able to meet the regulations and recommendations by our college and association but that was very supported very, very quickly by uh, the organizations, uh, the, the CCA, for instance, certainly by the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors, by the CCPA. So we moved quite quickly from a sense of um, uncertainty and uh, dis- unease into a point where we felt very supported as we moved along that path. The other thing that was really interesting was as we moved through that experience, it became apparent quite quickly that there was a great opportunity for education and acquiring more knowledge. Uh, started with a number of webinars, um, you know, certainly being able to, uh, to intersect with a lot of the information that was public in terms of how the programs were, were going to work from a federal and provincial delivery basis. Uh, you know, basic things like just subscribing to um, daily information pieces that came through news and other media outlets and that was very helpful as well but the thing that we had to learn right away was that we had to be extremely nimble and that involved some hardcore decisions about laying off staff who do we keep 
who do we lay off? And we were trying, of course, we adore our staff. So we wanted to make sure that everybody was cared for and that they would have the best opportunities to be financially secure as much as they could, as well as job secure, knowing that they had a job to come back to. So we found that uh, initially we laid off all of our staff with the exception of our full-time director, our front desk manager, one part-time person, as well as our bookkeeper who is generally in-house. So the director and the bookkeeper are both contractors. So in trying to facilitate their access to programs, it made it really difficult uh, for them as contractors. They Neither of them were able to access the programs for different reasons. One of them because she is a senior and therefore with the, the seniors benefit in Canada, they are not allowed to access any of the programs that the government offered. So we made sure that in the initial days that the ones who were laid off could access EI and then made sure that they understood about how they could access the various programs offered by the federal government, the CERB uh, program, etc. And we had to do the same thing for our practitioners. Although our practitioners are independent contractors, I wanted to make sure that they were apprised of the, again, the, the benefits that would be available to them, that they felt supported, that they didn't feel isolated. That was really important. And because all of the practitioners at our clinic have uh, different professional specialties, they have different services that they offer, they have different engagements in terms of being full-time or part-time, it was important that they all felt very supported with that. Uh, and so communications became really critical. Sorry, Judy, how, how about patients? Like, how were you communicating with patients while everything was, was shut down? Well, that was the most important thing for us, obviously, because of all these different levels of responsibility, I felt as though the first and foremost one was to our patient and client base. And because we do have so many different specialties in the clinic, we had an entire email list of anybody who was active in the last three years. And I was constantly writing communications and updates, letting everybody know what was happening, letting them know how we were moving through this. Initially, it was about twice a week. It felt like a really big responsibility to be both accurate and fulsome and supportive. Uh, So that was one thing that was really important to the entire client base. Uh, Then we sort of took it down to to smaller groups as well. So for instance, our psychologists, we encouraged them to write things that we could provide to just their client base if people weren't seeing um, anybody else in our clinic. Uh, Same thing for the acupuncturists because they had very specific um, uh, pieces of communication that they wanted to convey. The chiropractors, for instance, uh, it was great from a chiropractic perspective. We actually initially started meeting weekly by Zoom because we were seeing a couple of emergency patients, but we never intersected at the clinic. That was the way we designed it. So we met every Thursday morning by Zoom and went over all the things that were happening and and started envisioning right away what it was going to be like to reopen the clinic. And I think that was really important. So the other thing that was important for for patient and client uh, communication was really the one-on-one piece of it. So for example, in my practice, I had my patient list with me, and there were certain patients that I could designate that would really require some one-on-one interface. So even before telehealth was being discussed, so in the very early days, uh, you know, after kind of March 13th, I was reaching out and making probably 10 phone calls a day to specific people that I had concerns about. 
as well as emailing another maybe 25 to 30 a day. So it was a very individual one-on-one effort. And that felt really uh, appropriate to me. It just felt as though they really valued that connection. uh, And it wasn't ever a cookie cutter approach. It was always you know, knowing them well enough to know, you know, what they were doing, what their concerns were as um, on a healthcare basis, and reaching out to them in that respect. It sounds as though you never slowed down. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm really curious about the, the initial stages of this too, like the decision to close shop temporarily. And how did you acquire all this information as it was coming rapid fire in, in mid-March? I mean, how, how did you navigate all that? Well, initially, Galen, I will tell you, yes, it was crazy busy. And I remember saying to a couple of my practitioners, we need to get back to practice so I can slow down because I felt like I was way more busy than I was if I just had a normal routine day going into the the practice and doing what I do best. So it was very, very challenging in that respect. So in terms of what it felt like to start moving out of the clinic, uh, it was some of it was just the very mundane tasks of ensuring that you know mail was delivered in a place we could pick it up, deliveries because of course we were instantly on all the PPE and the disinfectants. We've always been uh, very proud of our sanitization techniques at our clinic, but holy smokes have those ever been enhanced. So uh, our director was full time running to London Drugs to Walmart, uh, going online with our normal suppliers. Uh, trying to make sure that even at that time that we had all the disinfectant that we needed and all the supplies to to maintain a very, very high standard of, of cleanliness and sanitization. So we were so happy when the CCA uh, launched their, uh, their uh, opportunity with the raw office to be able to order PPE. And not even knowing where we were going to be a few months down the road or a few weeks down the road, we just ordered everything like crazy. We initially ordered 2,000 masks and we ordered gloves and more disinfectant, anything that we thought we could possibly acquire. And ultimately, that served us really well because when we did end up going back to work, we were ready and that was very, very appropriate. So, the you know, from a staffing perspective, we wanted to make sure that our phones could be answered, that voicemails and emails could be answered. So we ensured our front desk manager was there every morning from nine until noon to perform those functions. Uh, And then our director would come in the afternoon. So nobody was in the clinic at the same time, except for that one person. And as the chiropractors, who were the only ones who were offering emergency care at that time, as we were in seeing just the handful of patients that we did, because of course they had to meet this incredible criteria for being emergency patients, we always ensured that there was no other staff person in the building at the same time, that there was no nobody other than just the patient and the chiropractor at that point in time. So there were lots of very basic things that we had to take care of. Uh, and then again, being at home um, and doing all the work that involved the communications piece of it. And plus, the other obligations that I had, you know, toward the Canadian Chiropractic Association, being on that board, the CCRF being on that board, that never stopped. That just, that just uh, evolved into more of a, a Zoom virtual reality. And, and I want to make sure we bring Stephen on this too. And you mentioned a bit, telehealth a bit, and, and that's one of the uh, topics we certainly want to bring up with you, Steve. But first off, we need to congratulate you on being named CCA's Researcher of, of the Year. 
congratulations. Well done, Steve. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And Thank I'd like to very... add my congratulations too, because I have functioned as the chair of the um, the awards committee, and we were so pleased, Stephen, to to uh, you know award you with that. It was so so well deserved, and very clear that uh, you are just a true champion uh, in our professional community in Canada. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's a tremendous honor to uh, to to be bestowed with and. One of the things that makes it so nice is that I have so much respect for uh, the individuals who have been named to the award prior to me. So to be able to uh, to stand in their ranks is a, is a humbling honor. So thank you very much for your support. And and we want to ask you a bit about telehealth to start with. Uh, you're doing some really interesting work, and and telehealth has really it's been an uncharted territory for for most chiropractors pre-COVID. Uh, we saw a real boom in the provision of telehealth over the past few months, obviously due to the restrictions placed on in-person care. So how can telehealth be used by chiropractors during a pandemic? Well, you know, telehealth is a real solution in times of a pandemic. And it's a way to ensure that patients can communicate with their chiropractor. And the opportunity really came forward uh, with the COVID pandemic because the opportunity for reimbursement for chiropractic visits by workers' compensation boards, motor vehicle accidents, provincial funding in Manitoba, third-party insurance companies um, became available for telehealth consults for chiropractors for the first time, really, as a result of this situation. And so it became an opportunity for chiropractors to determine what their role can be in this environment. So Beyond what a chiropractor can offer in a face-to-face context, like a physical examination, neurological assessment, orthopedic assessment, and then treatment via physical modalities and manual therapies like soft tissue techniques and joint mobilization and manipulation, chiropractors can also offer a lot of other services that don't require physical contact. And some of those non-contact services include, but aren't limited to, a detailed health history that can assess for red flags or yellow flags, assessment of patient-reported outcome measures to determine the severity of a patient's situation, uh, determining the health goals that the patient has, and then being able to intervene and offer education, advice, self-management strategies, and be able to triage whether the patient requires referral for other healthcare services that may be uh, more urgent or, or more emergent or out of the scope of practice of what's traditionally administered by chiropractors. So these non-contact services may ease the burden on other aspects of the Canadian healthcare system, as well as improve the health and well-being of the patients. It really kind of redefines our, I find, our, our roles and, and, and forces us into uncomfortable positions. Because when I was doing telehealth, I felt like I was treating a patient with my hands tied behind my back. And, you know, we're, t- we're, we're told via the research that education, exercise, and advice, these are all very important components of, of evidence-based care, but it's forcing us to use that and to take away our, our most uh, comfortable modality, which is manual therapy. Um, how has that been? How do you see that shaping with, with, with clinicians? It's been, it's been going really well. And I've been really impressed with what I've seen from some data that's been collected already looking at how chiropractors are engaging in telehealth and what they're actually able to utilize. And one thing that I've been impressed with is how people are actually using 
orthopedic assessments and physical examination. There are actually um, certain signs and tests that are visibly observable. And so people can do those in their practice and really try to specifically assess what's happening in, in a patient's situation. So using um, observable tests like posture, gait, balance, functional movement tests, range of motion, um, and other observable orthopedic tests, clinicians are actually able to, to make informed decisions about what the patient is happening that mimics what they would do in clinical practice with that limiting factor that they, they, they can't do the hands-on component of it. And patients have actually really been valuing having access to chiropractors as well in terms of, of these opinions and advice and self-management strategies um, because they value the, the perspective of their chiropractor. And for people that are not covered by different insurance policies and things like that, um, over a quarter of patients that have been seen through telehealth are paying out of pocket for these services. They really value the perspective and opportunity to hear from their chiropractor in this time. Wow, that's, that's huge to hear. Now, obviously, this is a huge need during COVID, the COVID pandemic, but once this ends, ideally, when it, when it ends, do you see there still being a role for telehealth or is this going to fade away and, and we'll just resume return to normal? I, I think that this really opens a new door for our profession and opens uh, a career pathway that didn't exist before for a chiropractor. It is possible in the future, moving forward beyond the pandemic, to have a virtual clinic where you are a clinician seeing patients anywhere in your province. And these can be people that are in rural, remote, or isolated populations who otherwise would have no opportunity to have access to chiropractic there's no chiropractor in close geographic proximity to where those patients are. And this is an opportunity for a chiropractor to be able to be engaged with patients in those areas and to identify people who have red flags and need different types of care, who have yellow flags and uh, may need certain, certain needs to be co-managed, and people who can really just benefit from hearing the advice and recommendations uh, for healthy lifestyle choices and exercise behaviors uh, that can be suggested by chiropractors. And sometimes it can be used in a triage situation too, where you can say, okay, we've identified what we can do for this patient remotely, but we should actually try to get them into a context where they can have some hands-on care as well. And so it serves as a screening tool for, for people in those isolated areas to see if a course of care uh, with a hands-on chiropractor is warranted to supplement what can be offered through telehealth. So I think that um, beyond the pandemic, there's a huge role that chiropractors can explore using telehealth to be able to service more of our population in Canada. And from what I'm hearing via our colleagues, it sounds like some are using telehealth to take a history before a patient comes in for their visit to minimize contact time in clinic or you know, in the past, I've done over-the-phone consults, and I think, how archaic is that now that we have access to video? I mean, you think there's also some value there? Absolutely. I think that it's a great pre-screening opportunity. There are a lot of people who have never been to a chiropractor before. They may have um, concerns or fears associated with, with being in a touch therapy environment or a hands-on type of environment. And so that barrier can be taken away completely by having a telehealth consult. It's an opportunity for the patient to determine if chiropractic care is something that they're comfortable moving forward with. And it's an opportunity for a patient to screen or for the clinician 
to screen a patient and say, yes, this is someone who is an appropriate candidate for care that we offer in our clinic, and they should come in for a physical uh, examination and, and treatment. Uh, so it, it really works for both the patient as well as the uh, clinician themselves. That's great. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Um, Judy, what was you, you kind of alluded to this a, a little bit. Um, what was your experience with telehealth as, as, especially as we were going through the lockdown and now even as we've emerged in the last month or so? Well, I would certainly echo Stephen's comments about how very appreciated and valued it was by patients. Um, in the very early days, uh, in late March, of course, there was no real formal telehealth uh, operations at that time. We were exploring it. The provincial colleges were trying to determine whether or not that would be something that would be appropriate. The programming, the plans were being put together. Um, and so it was very, very informal. And I found that in that early part of the process, we could be very creative. So for instance, my young adult daughter who was at home isolating with us, was uh, I was able to take pictures and videos of her, she has a personal training background, of her doing specific exercises that I wanted to be able to share with a, a patient for a particular problem. So personalizing it in a sense and ensuring that they had the, uh, the visual opportunity to look at that. They were very appreciative of that. Of course, it was a big thing for screening to determine whether or not we would see them as an emergency patient within the clinic. Um, but as, the, uh, as it's been streamlined, and I must add very, very quickly, the, uh, the colleges, certainly I see that in Alberta, came on board very quickly. I so appreciate the amount of work that they had to do to be able to uh, ensure that this was going to be appropriate for us and within our, our uh, regulations. Uh, and then as well as the support that we got from CCA with their platforms that they were able to bring forward. So it was able to evolve into this formalized process that allowed us to become more sophisticated about it. So I think that today, being back engaged in full-time practice, I'm certainly employing less of that. However, I've been very pleased just in the last couple of days to see that there are some indications that it's being adopted as a permanent measure in different clinical specialties from medicine through psychology, chiropractic, etc., uh, in a number of different jurisdictions. And I do think it is part of the new reality. And I do think that's one of the many positive things that has come out of this. I don't think there would have been an impetus to do this without the tremendous need. Yeah, very true. Steve, you've you've been instrumental in getting a getting a research project related to telehealth going with with the CCA. What what can you tell us about uh, about that and and what you've been seeing? Well, one thing that we recognized early on in the uh, pandemic was that you know we as chiropractors have some some closed groups uh, where people can talk about challenges they're having or seek advice from each other. And uh, it's, it's great to have that kind of support through, through the different social media groups that exist. But it seemed that chiropractors weren't entirely sure how to move forward together, what, what platform to use, what to offer, what to do. And so it was sort of a choose-your-own-adventure of people trying to figure out how can we move forward and, and offer something uh, of value to our patients and, and what, is it that we should, what is it that we should offer. And so... Anytime chiropractic is in a new context, I think it's really important to document what we're doing and how we're doing it so that we can learn from it and we can generate new continuing education tools. We can look at research that can be done 
to understand what we're doing. And this is a philosophy that I've had when um, I was first in the Veterans Health Administration in the United States, and we were looking at chiropractic services being integrated there. And then now in the publicly funded clinic that we have here in Manitoba, trying to figure out what is happening on the front line of care and, and how can we help people. And so telehealth seemed to be a parallel situation in that it's a new context for chiropractors. We hadn't been there before. And what is it that we can really do and what is actually happening uh, in this in this time frame? So I had some conversations with the CCA and we decided to create a telehealth portal where basically what would happen is a chiropractor could have a telehealth consult and then they could report their experience through this telehealth portal and we would be able to identify any trends that are happening in terms of what chiropractors are doing, uh, who is utilizing telehealth from both a perspective of what types of patients are utilizing telehealth and what types of clinicians are utilizing telehealth. How are these things being documented? Uh, are they using electronic medical records? Are, is consent being obtained? All of these different kinds of things that, that you would associate with a typical face-to-face uh, -face chiropractic visit. And so this telehealth portal was launched in uh, late April and early May of 2020. And uh, we created a password-protected online portal for Canada, uh, Canadian chiropractors to enter anonymized data reflecting these telehealth consults. That data then goes into a central repository where it can be pooled with all of our national data. And so in doing so, the CCA, in partnership with myself, um, has been able to summarize this unique window of time. Because if we didn't do it during this window of time, that knowledge and that data would have been lost. And so now that the CCA has this information, we can start to use it to inform continuing education for chiropractors in the future that wish to do uh, telehealth. And also uh, other chiropractic colleges will learn how to embed this into their curricula. So that moving forward, if, if telehealth becomes and remains a part of our uh, daily practice as chiropractors, we can learn about it from the educational institutions as we move forward with the most current data um, that happened during this, this pandemic. Uh, Steve, are, are you able to say how, how, many, uh, you know, how many encounters you've, had, you've received data on thus far? Yeah, so in the month of May, we had data entered on more than 100 unique encounters from chiropractors in seven provinces across the country. And so the data has been really, really rich in terms of seeing what people are doing on the front lines. And, you know, in 76% of cases, this was a bit of a surprise to me, uh, people are actually able to do a truncated physical exam, which I was talking about earlier in terms of uh, orthopedic tests and observational exams that could be done uh, through a telehealth context. Things I was less surprised about were um, that patient histories are being done in, you know, 95% of cases and that um, all, all sorts of soap notes are being maintained on a regular basis. People are documenting things in electronic medical records uh, in about 71% of cases. Uh, other people are using paper notes still. So it was interesting to see those kinds of things come out and, uh, you know, and who is paying for this kind of care and uh, insurance companies were, were the number one uh, payers, which were about 40, 41% of cases were third party insurance companies. And, and as I said, over a quarter 
of the patient encounters are paid for by the patient out of pocket, demonstrating how they value having access to this kind of care. So, you know, some of the data that is has come out has been really fantastic. And, um, you know, males and female chiropractors are using these services equally. And, um, you know, the, the primary patients that are, are coming forward are, are biologically female. And so uh, in, in a slightly older age range. So it's great to see that chiropractors uh, are valuing and, and utilizing the services. And it's great to see that, uh, that patients are, are really feeling that there's value there as well. I know one of the questions that you ask in the, in the, uh, in the instrument is, is whether or not the, it led to a patient going in, having an attending clinic for an emergency visit. What percentages are you seeing, are you seeing where it's, you know, a telehealth visit is leading to an eventual in-person, in-person or are people able to continue to manage on their own? We do ask some questions about uh, people managing on on their own in a telehealth context versus people coming in. And we are finding that um, in a lot of instances, chiropractors wish that they had the opportunity to do a hands-on intervention, but due to the pandemic, obviously they weren't always able to at the time. Uh, We're finding that the majority of cases are urgent in nature, but not necessarily um, emergent. And so uh, it's, it's nice to see that, that people are able to recognize that in most cases, people aren't going to die as a result of their back pain. They're not going to lose a limb as a result of their back pain. So it's not a medical emergency. And the patient can be reassured that uh, by following instructions and recommendations that follow clinical practice guidelines for the types of care that chiropractors can deliver, in a non-hands-on context that, you know, their pain can respond to that type of care. And Judy, I mean, I noticed this in my practice with telehealth that I think pretty well all of my patients were subsequent patients who sought sought telehealth. And I don't think I saw new patients for telehealth. Did you have a similar experience with with your practice? I had, uh, I believe, four new patients that I did telehealth with. Uh, people that uh, deemed themselves to be very, again, as Stephen said, urgent, but not emergent. And out of the, I'm pretty sure it was four because I actually went in then after I did my initial telehealth visit, including the truncated exam. Um, and then I went in ultimately to provide treatment for them as what we deemed to be emergency patients. So, and then the other ones uh, I did see after the fact. So once we opened formally, then I did see them for ongoing treatment after that. Okay, interesting. And, and Steve, have you seen, uh, what, what are the trends you've seen in terms of new patients or follow-ups, or if, if that's been documented? Yeah, the majority of cases that have come in are existing patients within the chiropractor's clinic. These are people who have a, an acute flare-up of a sometimes chronic condition, And uh, when they have that flare-up, they would typically present to the chiropractor's office for some treatment and advice and recommendations. And those were the the primary group of patients that were being seen. New patients were being seen as well, though, and uh, they were being sort of guided through a course of care that involved advice and education and and recommendations. Really interesting to hear how it's worked in your practice, how they then followed up with in-person care once the restrictions were lifted and, and how that therapeutic alliance can just be built from, from that point on rather than a typical in-person encounter for so it's an interesting uh, relationship that's built from like an initially telehealth uh, consult. 
And I'll just maybe add as well that uh, two of those patients, now as I'm thinking about them, um, I did refer them uh, one to an emergency department, uh, urgent care, and one to their family physician. So they followed up with them and then they returned to uh, for treatment once we opened. Wow. So again, highlighting the the value that we or the role we play in, in triage, diagnosis and triage, and almost I guess similar to the Isaac uh, model in, in in Ontario. The I'll, I'll mess up this acronym, but interprofessional spine assessment and education clinic, uh, I believe. So where they're essentially providing education, diagnosis information, I think, and not providing hands-on care. So it really highlighting our skill set in, in in diagnosis and triage and and um, other other things aside from manipulation. And I, th- I think it's so important to be able to offer that for for a myriad of reasons, and some of which include that if we weren't there in that telehealth capacity to be able to do that kind of triaging, all of those patients would have either ended up in a medical waiting room or an emergency department waiting room where they're in close proximity to other people that have medical emergencies happening. And so by being able to, to take those, those people that can benefit potentially from chiropractic care and put them into a context where they can have that communication with a chiropractor, we can ease the burden on other aspects of our healthcare system. And it also takes away a huge barrier for people that have ambulatory issues. So people who don't necessarily have access to transportation and rely on public transportation or things like that, we're keeping these people off of buses where they would be crowded in with other people. And so we're taking away that barrier for them to be able to get access to care for someone who is elderly or on their own and doesn't have the ability to easily get out of their house and be able to get to see someone. Through telehealth, we're able to provide access to chiropractic services for those people, and they don't have to go through the burden of leaving their home and coming back to their home and uh, also for people who are caregivers to other people in their own homes. So uh, young parents and things like that who have uh, very young children who they don't want to bring into an environment where they would be exposed to a lot of other people by, by being able to have telehealth as an accessible option for the chiropractic patient, we can take away a lot of these barriers for these different subgroups. You make a compelling case. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of factors I hadn't considered. That, that's, that's, that's so true. Uh, I'd like to uh, pivot a little bit to talking about return to practice. As we're recording this, this interview, I should mention this for our listeners. It is uh, mid-June. I think it's June, uh, June 12th here, just so that everyone understands where we're at. I'm in BC. Uh, and Judy, I know you're in, you're in Alberta. So you've been back in practice uh, for well over a month now. But I'd like to know a bit more about like, how does it feel, how has it felt to return to practice? Uh, how have your patients been feeling in terms of have they been anxious to return? Are they all comfortable? Um, what's the general, uh, what are the general sentiments? Well, from a patient perspective, it's really interesting to see how much they uh, value being back in the clinic. So interestingly, uh, Steve makes some excellent points about all the virtues of telehealth. And yet it's interesting, the people who value that in-clinic experience. Uh, and I would say one of the things that is, has become very uh, obvious to me is those people who, even though the touch is much more sanitized, if you will, 
they appreciate the value of that touch. They, they appreciate the value of being face-to-face. Uh, it was interesting because uh, Dr. Greg Stewart of Manitoba made a post, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it was in the CCA members' Facebook uh, page. And it was really on point in terms of assuring and reassuring chiropractors that their patients would still value their care no matter what. I think a lot of us had a feeling and a sense of, you know, now that our patients have not been able to access the care the way they're used to it, does that mean that they may value it less? Um, And he sort of addressed this head on and said, that's not going to be the case have confidence in the fact that uh, that you will be back in practice and that the value will be kind of, uh, will not have skipped a beat. Uh, and that's very true. I found that it was a lot of value for that, for us being back in practice. So the patients were very excited. We were quite surprised at how quickly we were busy. We had sort of a, a waiting list of people who wanted to be called the minute we were back open. And so the first few days and week, um, our staff was incredibly busy phoning everybody, making sure they could be scheduled. Uh, and it was amazing to me at how easily people adapted to the restrictions put in place. Because, of course, the model of care uh, in our clinic, very patient-centered, of course, that didn't really change. But all the ancillary pieces around that certainly did. Uh, Much more restrictive. For instance, we didn't want them to arrive early. If they did, they had to wait outside. Thank goodness it's been beautiful here. And that's not a problem for them to be sitting outside in the garden or something. Um, And when they come in, they they have protocols they have to follow. They sanitize their hands outside the waiting in the uh, foyer area. Then they walk directly to the washroom and wash their hands thoroughly. And then they're directed immediately into a room. They're not allowed to bring other people with them. Uh, you know, we're all masked, etc. So um, all those pieces around getting them in for the actual uh, treatment or for the appointment um, has changed significantly, but they've adapted extremely well to it and have been very, very respectful of it. So that, from that perspective, it's been a really positive uh, opportunity to get back uh, into the swing of things. And surprisingly to me, there's not been a huge amount of talk about the bad virus, about COVID. Um, it's been more about, you know, these are my needs. These are my family's needs. Uh, you know, how can you facilitate um, addressing these? So it was, it's been a very, very positive experience for us uh, in all respects. So uh, I'm very committed to ensuring that we can continue the model of care on that basis as well, uh, and ensuring that people feel cared for in the ways that they've been accustomed to in the past. Yeah, and and I'm sure you've noticed this as well, but anecdotally I've had patients say, I haven't been touched in three months. <laughs> and and just to, to have that, that um, therapeutic encounter is, 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 is powerful to be able to, to bring in again to, to patients. So I'm sure that was an exciting piece to being able to actually provide hands-on care to people who, who really needed it. Yes. Um, how do you, I wonder too, as, as someone who runs such a, a large clinic and has so many moving pieces, how do you prepare for the future now, um, given that this is a, quite a, a different normal than we're used to, given that there could be a, a second wave uh, coming down the line? How do you as a chiropractor, but also a clinic owner, I navigate that. 
Well, in the moment, we have to ensure that we are abiding by all of the regulations and rules from the provincial government, from the provincial college, uh, and the recommendations that are offered by CCPA and CCA, et cetera, which are very valuable because that gives us that template to work from. It gives us the guidelines that ensure that we are delivering care appropriately. So as we move forward, uh, it's, it's challenging as a clinic owner because we have so many different specialties and all of those colleges and or associations have different regulations. So for example, we started back using the COVID waiver that people had to sign that was part of their pre-screening uh, and then were instructed by CCPA to no longer use that. However, our massage therapists, as they return within the next week or so, um, the director and myself have been pretty overwhelmed with all the recommendations by the association, which are not consistent with the government recommendations. Um, and as you may know, across Canada, there are more is more than one massage therapy association. So they're not all consistent with each other. And our demographic of massage therapists is such that there are two different associations that they belong to. And some of those requirements are really intense. Uh, and we're going to have to make decisions about what we're going to be able to support and what we're not, of course, always in the best interest of the patient first. But we have to be able to see what's what's really practical uh, for both the patient and for the practitioners. So it's been very interesting as we look at how what we're going to do to protect the patients and protect ourselves in the moment. But as we move forward, not to let our guards down so that we can participate in being part of the prophylaxis of a second wave. I mean, there seems to be some tremendous uh, certainty around that happening. It's just uncertain as to when that might. But I do believe that if we start to slack off at this point in instituting these protocols and procedures, that we are, are not participating in that prevention. So we're working really hard to ensure that. And I'm telling you, it's a full-time job. I'm sure you would all agree in practice, my gosh, we actually hired a person full-time just to do sanitization of rooms, et cetera. We had to. Yeah. We didn't have a choice. Um, and so, you know, that's a very different reality. One of one of the groups I've been doing a lot of thinking about is, you know, the, the students who are currently in chiropractic college mm-hmm. or who are just graduating or, or new graduates. Um, Steve or, or Judy, do either of you have any, any advice that you could think of for people who are just entering practice or you know, going to be entering practice during this pandemic at some point as to how they can kind of get themselves, uh, you know, start to launch their careers and, 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 and sort of do it in the right way as much as possible? Yeah, I can, I can jump in on that, Kent. Um, there's actually a really great initiative that's being launched by the Canadian Chiropractic Association, and it's, it's being done to be able to address what can happen if uh, we are to see subsequent waves of the pandemic. And for a new grad who is just coming out into the workforce for the first time, they don't necessarily have a clinic and a reception staff and all those other types of things. So the opportunity for them to engage in telehealth as a full-time starting point could exist for those new graduates. And the opportunity is being there through the CCA, uh, who has actually developed something in partnership with an agency called On-Call Health that will increase uh, a patient's ability to have access to care. So 
there was confusion at the start of wave one about how do we deliver telehealth? What is it? And what portals should people use and all those sorts of things. And to respond to that, the CCA has created a portal. And so it'll be a software product that will meet all the clinical and administrative needs of virtual visits. It's, it allows people to conduct secure video and instant messaging appointments that are FIPA and PAPITA compliant. They'll be able to do online appointment booking, patient intake, file sharing, secure patient notes and data storage, uh, automated reminders and billing services. Um, it's available on any device or any browser to try to minimize barrier for uh, the patient to have access to care. And there's also one-on-one -on -one training and 24-7 bilingual tech support free of charge for the chiropractor and their patients. So they have tried to design a way for someone to have access to telehealth in a very structured way and a very secure and safe way uh, so that if they don't have the ability to start a clinic in the traditional sense, they can use this or if you're a chiropractor who has a clinic that has to be put on pause due to subsequent waves of the pandemic, you can do that too, um, all with the support of the Canadian Chiropractic Association. And I'd like just to add to that, I just became aware in the last couple of days of yet another webinar that the CCA is going to be presenting that I think will be very helpful as part of their, what they call the 2020 strategy, which is the support for the graduating classes of 2020. And that is a uh, webinar, I believe it's going to be aired on July 13th. Uh, and that is uh, clinicians and clinic owners uh, discussing what they are looking for in young chiropractors or new graduates or relatively new graduates coming into their um, into their clinics and how they what their hiring practices are and and what is important to them. So I think that's a good coaching piece for uh, newer graduates to help them understand, uh, you know, how they can best integrate into uh, different types of different models of clinic settings. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a well attended event given <laughs> circumstances. Uh, I think too with the reduced workload. I think a lot of us are operating under under. Um, you know, less than full capacity. Um, it also provides an opportunity for, for uh, hopefully, for new grads to join practices that maybe have patients needing to get in and to be seen, um, but not on a, on a full caseload basis. So, perhaps there's opportunities there as well. Yes, and in an additional opportunity that could exist for some individuals as well is the opportunity to become engaged in research. So if you're recognizing that you're not going to be as busy clinically as you would like to be, but you think that research may be an interesting opportunity that you'd like to explore, those opportunities exist too. So during the time of the pandemic, um, it seems to be quite common that people look to upgrade their skills and that sort of thing, whatever profession they happen to be in. So the opportunity to pursue a master's degree or a PhD exist with a number of the CCRF professors that have been in place across the country. Uh, we're always looking for people that understand our profession and are willing to, uh, to participate and conduct new contributions to research. Yeah, and I know, I know uh, Kent's PhD is, is all online and, and my master's has been all online or the majority of it. So there are certainly programs uh, available for those even wanting to conduct you know, post-secondary education um, online. 
Steve, you, you seem to really hit fertile ground when it comes to, uh, to doing some work in, in telehealth. Do you see future investigation moving in this direction for, your, for yourself and your, and your team at, at the university? Oh, I think there's a lot of potential to really explore this. And so I'm engaged in a lot of different uh, projects. And one of the ones that I'm engaged in is the Global Spine Care Initiative. Uh, another is World Spine Care. And, you know, we're always looking at the challenges of delivering care in really remote or uh, challenging accessible populations. And so I think that telehealth may be uh, a solution in some of these environments, uh, rural and remote uh, communities in northern Manitoba. Um, these are our communities that are currently underserved. And if we can offer some services through telehealth or even just screening through telehealth, I think there could be a tremendous role for chiropractors to engage in that form. And at these early stages of, of making those kinds of initiatives possible, research is essential to understand what we're doing and what's working and who we can engage with and what kinds of successes can be had and to learn from uh, what's not working so well. So we need research to really be tied to a lot of these expansion and opportunity initiatives so that we can understand how best to serve society. Amazing. I, um, I feel like we probably all speak together for hours and hours on this topic. There's so much to discuss. Before we wrap things up, are there any closing remarks or anything that you'd like to add to the conversation that we've had so far with Judy or, or Steve? Yeah, I'd like to offer a shout out to the many, many organizations who have supported us as chiropractors in Canada um, in a very real fashion, uh, financially. So, for instance, the CCPA, who initially deferred dues and then has uh, completely allowed that to happen for the next three months or for the three months total. Our software provider in Alberta uh, cut our billings and services, not our services, but our billings for services in half uh, for a three month period, which I thought was extremely generous. Um, my own uh, association in college, the ACAC, who has deferred dues for, uh, I think it's three months total, as well as deferring the CE process. So uh, allowing us uh, another full year to be able to garner those CE credits. So I just felt that there's been so much support on a daily basis. Uh, I've had so many comments, uh, you know, working with the CCA from members in Canada who have so appreciated all the guidance uh, and all the support that have been given by the CC as well. So I, I feel we've been very blessed in that respect. Uh, and there's, it, it makes uh, for a lot less things to whine and complain about as we go through these challenging times. So I do want to make sure that uh, these organizations know how appreciated their efforts have been and how grateful we are that they have been able to do their best to support us in these challenging times. I would absolutely echo those comments that were made by, by Judy. Our national and provincial organizations have really uh, been committed to being visible and present during this, this pandemic. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to commend all the practicing chiropractors out there as well who are weathering this storm and are looking for new strategies and new opportunities and are excited to be able to serve their patients again in the future. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I, I want to thank you both for your time. Uh, it, I really appreciate it. I know you're both incredibly busy people. So uh, it was a pleasure to have you both with us today. And to our listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in and everybody stay safe and stay healthy.